0: Welcome to Post Break. I'm Chris Peterson, Board
1: Secretary of the PNYA. Today's episode is a conversation with New York Post soups. I'd like to introduce our moderator, CEO and EP of VFX Studio Phosphine, Vice Chair of the PNYA, Vivian Connolly. Hi,
2: everybody. Thank you so much for coming. I hear there's a lot of you on there, though I can't see your faces. Um, I want to welcome our panelists. We have Katherine Farrell, Kendall McCarthy, Matt Shapiro, and from the studio side, we're really lucky to have Ben Urquhart. Um, So we're going to be able to have two different perspectives. I'm going to skip over all the usual uh, how did you get here, what was your path questions. Everybody who's on the panel's bios will be posted both on the Post New York Alliance website, or at least links to them, rather, and in Slack, so you can sort of see everybody's journey, but I think we want there's meatier stuff to discuss. So I'm going to kind of jump right into that, if that's okay with everybody. Um, my first question to you all is, um, how much of your job is soft skills and how much of your job is hard skills? So meaning how much of your job is negotiating, managing expectations, et cetera, versus budgeting, scheduling, technical knowledge? Um, maybe we can start with Matt.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really a a combo of both. I mean, I I always called the job post-production psychologist. I feel like you're doing a lot of, you know, working with each department, figuring out what they need, how you get what they need, when you can bend things for them, and when you have to just make it work with what you have. So I think a lot of it's, yeah, listening, figuring out how you can make the process better and move forward. And then, of course, there's all the, you know, you have to know technically the workflow. You have to understand budgeting and scheduling and all those things. And those things you can get better over time and, you know, develop those skills. But I think, yeah, it really all goes back to just listening and, and, and being able to talk to people.
2: Yeah, I agree. Catherine. what, what, what are your feelings on this? Like how much oh. of your job is sort of psychologist versus producer?
3: Um, I think it probably, uh, it probably depends a little bit on the show. I think uh, different editors, different directors you know, need different things or want different things in a, in a post-supervisor or a post-producer. I think it also depends kind of on the visual effects component, how technical you need to kind of get in with that kind of stuff. I feel like some jobs, I'm totally a budgeter and scheduler, which are frankly the least kind of fun parts. And then some parts I get to do more kind of fun technical stuff. Uh, it, it just depends on who the other players are in the game that day.
2: Do you feel that sort of... I th- I think about this a lot as a producer myself and I've produced in many different areas that the soft skills piece is just something that I come with and the hard skills piece is something that I learned on the job. Not that I haven't gotten better at the soft skills, but Catherine, do you feel like that was a strength that you had sort of by, you know, nature, or do you feel like that's something you learned on the job, the soft skills piece?
3: I think, uh, I think, I'm probably worse at the, um, at the people part, cause I'm kind of a, I, left to my own devices, I would sit by myself in a room forever and not talk to anyone. So the like managing, not managing, dealing with people and crew and kind of the, the den mother aspect of it um is uh is the part that i was a little bit uh daunted by mm-hmm. i feel like i could i can dig into like this is how much it'll cost and let me figure out the difference in QuickTime time codex but when it comes to like the assistant editor hates the pa oh shit now nah, like okay or like the studio wants this and the director wants this and you're kind of the go-between those are, have become the more interesting parts because they're the the relationship things, but they are definitely the part where I still feel the most anxiety and, uh, and kind of wearing which hat do you wear today? I'm still kind of like, which hat am I picking up at any given time to put on?
2: Ben, from the studio perspective, um, how much of your job do you feel like is sort of navigating difficult situations versus diving into in depth technical information?
4: I mean, I think it's, first of all, I want to say that I have been doing Zoom therapy and uh, Matt's Matt's uh, area is very similar to my therapist's office. So I'm feeling good in the <laughs>
2: college was-
4: realm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd say it's, uh, you know, I grew up uh, being taught like very intricately technical uh workflows and skills, uh, you know, that was how I came up. It has become a soft skill job, almost 100%. I need to be good at a spreadsheet so that I can condense complicated ideas into something that someone can thumbs up or thumbs down. And the rest is just, you know, answering calls and, and listening to people, you know, yeah. helping them through helping them through a tough moment where I don't necessarily know what to do. I really relate to what Catherine said about this notion of the soft skills stuff is more interesting, but it is way more anxiety-inducing
2: Yeah, it's really hard stuff. I know being at home, my daughter asked me if my job was sending emails and answering phone calls. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kendall, this one is for you. Um, in what way do you find as producers, I feel like sometimes there's a discounting of how creative the job is. Um, by other people, other people's perceptions. Um, And so my question to you is, in what way do you see yourself as a manager of the creative process versus part of the creative process? So, and how often does what you want that to be
5: happen? Right, Uh, I do think post is incredibly creative and I like interacting with creative people. um, And that's part of why I'm drawn to it, to the post side of things. I will say, I find, I find maybe non-traditional creative ideas, like to me, putting together who the editors are, who the sound people are, and putting the right people on the right project and and creating those teams and that team dynamic, I find that very creative. Some people might say that's just hiring, but uh, it's all about the right personalities in the room because you spend so much time in the room with these people and you have to be able to communicate in a really dynamic way and understand where someone's coming from. Um, then on top of that, I feel like a lot of times, um, what I try to do is I try to get the creative people to talk to the other creative people. So you're in a sound spotting session. And sometimes my showrunner, my director may not actually be able. I know that he wants something specific, but he's not actually communicating in the room. So I'll just start asking him questions like, Mm -hmm is this a really quiet scene? It seems like it's a really quiet scene. Like you really want to focus on the dialogue here, correct? And I'll get, just to get him talking. And sometimes I'm wrong. He's like, no, this is going to be like, I don't care what they're saying. But to me, it's about trying to get to the creative. And so the discussion for the sound spotting session, the discussion for the visual effects spotting session, that you are talking about creative and you're not just going off on a tangent. So uh, I think that's unbelievably important because... All those pieces add, add, make something, contribute something and make it art uh, and make it why I'm involved in it, what I like doing. So I find ways like that. I, I find, uh, I just want people to talk about what what a scene really is, if it's really important and, and get those dialogues happening. That's the fun part of filmmaking. So I would say I'm creative in that aspect.
2: Matt, how, how often do you find your, do you find that your job as sort of a creative person, that people come to you with creative decisions or more logistical decisions, do you see yourself as a creative partner or as sort of a facilitator?
0: Yeah, I think it's a, a little of both. I think uh, it depends on the project and it's really figuring out, you know, your, your showrunner, your director, what they need from you and what your role should be in that. So I think Kendall's right. It's the casting of who your crew is it's helping the communication and then I think there's moments where they really do need the creative input especially on tv when they're kind of scrambling from one episode to the next there's always these holes that kind of need filling in I feel like and so it's seeing where is there the vision that's complete that they don't need you and where are those questions that they need you you know you to kind of ask the right questions or even suggest how to do it is it is it a visual effect is it a piece of music is it Um, piece of ADR sound design. So I think it really depends on the project and it's not, you know, trying to direct for them, but it's trying to, to see where the vision needs helping and you're trying to do the logistics. You're trying to get it done and make sure that that vision is there and executed practically.
2: Yeah. I think that makes sense. Catherine, do you, do you feel like there's a balance there or you're, you're sort of seen more as a logistics, um, schedule budget kind of
3: person? Um, I think it probably depends mostly on your relationship with the director and the editor and also kind of where, if any, the other producers are kind of in the process. I think when, um, in, especially on smaller movies, when you kind of have a line producer or UPM who's kind of been handling everything production and then they're gone and it's just like the director and post, then it's okay, cool. Like I'm happy to kind of, help or or give a voice or if wanted, give an opinion or kind of weigh in on things. If, you know, if you've got a director and three New York producers that are in the cutting room every other day and, and the studio creative exec who sees every change to the cut, you know, you don't necessarily need another like voice at the table. And so I think part of it is is. And these are like i think post jobs in general like you got to read the room a little bit in terms of whether you're wanted as a creative voice or if what they actually just need from you is like keep the train on the tracks um and you know the creative stuff is certainly the more interesting and the more fun and you hope going into each job that like it will be more of that and sometimes it's a bummer when it is more of a keep the train on the tracks job just by necessity of, of the people involved, you know, so that is the job too. So it's not like it's, it's not, nobody sold me a false bill of goods. It's just, you kind of go in with the hope that um, you're going to get to sink your teeth into something a little more. Cause I yeah. think, um, I think that's kind of, you know, where the fun stuff is.
2: I'm hearing a lot of soft skill <laughs> forward <laughs> answers from all of you who said it was sort of 50, 50. I'm wondering, you know, I'm hearing like, yeah, you need to know the information and you need to be able to, Come up with the facts, but you also need to know when to deliver them and when to keep your mouth shut and when to jump in and when to stay out so it feels very equal to me in terms of both of those skills and i I bring that up because I know a lot of the young people or people just starting out rather on um, think that it's all about knowing every single thing about every single thing and it, it really what I'm hearing is that it isn't that, it's about sort of figuring it out as you go and
5: getting better and better at that. Kendall, did you have something? My biggest advice is learn how to read a room. Learn how to figure out what the dynamic is in the room. Sometimes it's, it's going smooth, so shut up and sit and take notes. Other times, like you know that this director wants something specifically, but he is not communicating it in a clear way. You gotta get him to communicate in a clear way, because you have, Your day is so, so packed and everybody's got such a little period of time. You have to make the most of any time they're interacting with each other and you've got to get them talking. It's not about me talking. It's about them talking. So read the room, find out what's needed and make that happen. Sometimes it's getting them coffee so they can continue to talk. Sometimes it's asking questions. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, Ben, this is a little bit different than
2: your job, so I didn't jump to you immediately, but did you want to jump in at all on this or should we pivot?
4: Well, I, I think um I think I could add that, you know, I, I'm a former cheerleader and uh, uh and 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 it is sort of somebody in the chat, I think it was Chad. Uh, asked, you know, like, do you need to come with the soft skills or do you kind of learn them on the way? And, and it's a mixture of both. Um, I think, you know, I I've totally relate and can echo what people have said that a lot of it is show up in the room, be nice, find smart people and get them a cup of coffee and make them talk. Uh, because, uh, you know, I think a lot of my entire experience was just saying like, what, is, how does that work? And you ask that a question to enough people and some somebody will really want to tell you exactly how it works.
2: <laughs> no, I think it's true. And I think um, I'm going to talk about this later about sort of continuing education. Um, although maybe, maybe, Ben, since you brought that up, I'll, I'll just jump to that one now and, and circle back. How, for all of you, where was the learning that you have that you're implementing now as part of your job? Did that happen in school? Did that happen on the job? um and then i also want to talk about sort of how much your continuing education is existing maybe it's not formally in a class but are you still learning about technology and about you know new softwares and all that kind of stuff so Catherine, can we start with you did you did you get the skills that you have to do that the job that you do in school or on the job
3: uh definitely on the job i mean again you know maybe at some point I picked up learning Excel in school or some kind of like, you know, base computer stuff, but in general, and I can't agree more with what Kendall said about like, it's, it's reading the room and just kind of coming out. Like I started as a post PA and just sat in the back of a mixed stage and watched and listened and like sat in the back of a visual text review and sat and listened. And um, the, you know, if, if it's, if we're talking at all about kind of uh, thoughts for the, the youngins coming up, it's uh it's it's kind of keep your mouth shut and your head down for a minute and just just watch and listen and see you know when what is needed from you um you know like and that's i feel like i'm not i'm still doing it constantly you're still you're always walking into a new room so i think the the blessing and curse of our jobs right as freelancers is it's a new editor and he wants something new from you it's a new director and they want and need something new from you and um and all of that is like, you can't learn it. You just have to do it. You just have to go through it and realize, you know, what is different about this job than, pre- what can I bring from my previous shows that will help here? Like, oh, this guy or girl wants something totally different. Let me think of like a new way to communicate their way. Cause it's, it is all it comes back to, not to go back to soft skills, but it does all come back to communication styles and, Um, somebody may have a great music background and be able to talk to the composer and know exactly what to say. Other people, it's really hard to talk to a composer and to talk music. You know, they just, they know in their brain that they want the music to be great and they have no idea how to explain that. And that can be something that you facilitate or that you at least help with. And all of that is just having been in a room before where people were talking about music and maybe seeing how somebody else does it and thinking maybe I can apply that here and, I'm babbling all which yeah, disappoint- no, I think I think
2: that's v- valuable. And also, you know, I, I find as a producer that, um, even though I'm not a post producer, that uh, pretty much everything I've ever learned has popped up at some point. Like I speak French every once in a while that comes in handy, do you know <laughs> what I mean? I'm good with kids. I have pivoted and wrangled kids on a shoot. You know, whatever it is that your strengths are, I think part of what's so so much fun about this field is it's all in.
3: Right. Um, I also think, um, not to cheat or pivot away from what we're talking about, but um, something that Luca posted in the chat, which I think is completely valid, which is, I think our jobs doesn't always separate the creative and the logistics. Like, you are constantly reinventing the plan to suit the creative. Right. So it's like, you walk in on day one with your little post schedule and your post budget, and it gets blown up in, like, hour two. And yeah. you're just every day is a constant, like either things that never got solved in production that you're trying to handle or things that just aren't working in post whether that's a visual effect or music or sound or whatever you're it's it's always balancing what creative wants with how you can achieve it how you can achieve it financially how you can achieve it on a timeline how you can achieve it practically like it's you're just troubleshooting constantly and I think that can be creative troubleshooting, it can be financial troubleshooting, it can be however you get this
0: problem solved. Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of learning- Did you,
3: learn, did you it, learn at school?
0: I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, I feel like most of it's on the job and I went to film school and I still feel like most of what I've learned has been, you know, starting interning on things and then PAing and then moving up, like it's, yeah, it's really, it's just kind of, you know, you get an opportunity to work on something and I just like listen and sit there and absorb yeah, how the room works, what everyone's job is. And, and I think you just you keep doing that, obviously, at a certain point, you're in charge to a certain level, but you're still picking up things and learning things The kind of Yeah, the great thing. And the scary thing about our jobs is you always have to be learning, you can't just say, Okay, now I know what I need to know, you know, technology's changing constantly. And then the the creatives are working with are changing. And you really, you really don't know what's going to be thrown at you. So I think it's rolling with What's there and taking a beat, thinking it through how to how to approach, you know, the, the people you're with all the time. So, yeah, I think constantly learning and taking in new things and, and new challenges. You know, Yeah, and-, and
2: that we're all kind of here in part because we didn't want a job where it was the identical sure. thing every single day. We probably all have done them on the way up and we all didn't want that life. But the flip side of it is that there's surprising challenges every single day and new ones on every single show. Ben, did your education mostly come from on-the-job training or did you go to school for it?
4: Uh, it was completely on-the-job training. Uh, you know, I went to, uh, I went to liberal arts school. I, I like, had some sort of, we made some very weird videos, uh, but it, I had no, I had no idea what an assistant editor was, you know, now you know, the shining light in every post-production you know, team. Um, and uh, I, I really got educated by people who would just talk to me and spend a lot of time. Yeah. Hi, Susan Lazarus, okay. hi, Jennifer Freed. Yeah, some of them are here now, you know yeah. I mean, it's, uh, Kendall,
0: it's,
5: it's... we skip you? No, I mean, I think it's all on the job training because like you don't know, how could you possibly uh, go to school for it because it's all crazy. And that's what post is. Post is just a bunch of crazy, and you try your best. You can't control it. You try your best to organize it, and you just keep having to redo the schedule. Like, like Catherine said, I don't have. By the time I'm done with a project, I have literally done thirty to fifty schedules, somewhere around there. Like, there's so much. You just have to keep redoing them, and then reinform everybody. And I, I would say this between the soft and the tech, it, like the people skills and and the technical part of the job. I feel like you have to know some of the technical, but there are so many people to ask when you don't, like you're not gonna know everything and nor are you gonna know it to the level that a lab guy is gonna know it. So when you have, when it gets over your head, you ask the lab guy and he helps you out, but you have to know some part of the technical in order to figure out how long does this take? Do three people have to work on it? Do one people, does one person have to work on it? Is this a one day job, a 10 day job? What are my expectations and how much is it gonna cost? Sorry to interrupt you. There's no. no
2: there's no shortcut to figuring that out because it's from experience. To some extent, I can now read a budget and go, this is gonna be a hundred thousand dollars. Right. You know, and then I break it down and usually I'm pretty you know, that's just because I've done six hundred thousand budgets.
5: But there's always something new that you've never done before. Right. And like I don't I don't know what that's gonna cost. I'm gonna have to budget that out. I'm gonna have to ask people a ton of questions. And that's where the people skills come in because you just start talking to people my opinion of what people skills do, I'm always trying to get information. Without information, I can't do my job. I don't know what people want creatively and I don't know like how to actually do something that someone's requested. Uh, So like I just end up picking up the phone and start calling people. Someone says that, you know, things in the script, they'll start like, is this a VFX or is art department creating it? I don't know. I need to call somebody to find out because if VFX is doing it, I don't have the budget for it. Like, or is it a little bit of both?
2: Yeah. Oh, that ta- that is a beautiful segue, Kendall that you provided me with. So, for all of you, and maybe we'll start with Ben here. Um, I have always felt that there's a real unnecessary push pull between production and post. And you know, Catherine said something earlier, like the UPM or the line producers off, and now it's yours suddenly, and it's almost this whole new thing. And you sort of have the budget that is left over, that may or may not have been impacted by what happened in production. How how do you feel about the push pull between posts? Do you find that to be contentious? Are there ways in which you feel like, especially post Corona? I mean, this is a huge question, but especially post Corona, those lines need to be even blurrier than they were pre Corona. Ben, yeah. since you're coming from the studio side, how do you feel about how production and post coalesce and work together?
4: Well, I, okay. I think it's a you know it's a matter of sort of power in a way and it's an interesting sort of uh at least a universal uh a collaboration between the logistical bits of post and um and the creative side which is it still works to obscure behind clouds what happens during post-production clouds of technical information that you don't need to know about so a lot of that uh, you know, and and I I really got taught this by Jeff Roth. Is you can you can kind of leverage that into uh, a in, in ingratiating yourself with the production crew because they're like, well, shit, we don't know how to do that. How do you do that? And then and then they're calling you all the time. And and once again, it's just a matter of you know uh, how, how is that person to person, people to person relationship working? And a lot of that, uh, at least on my side, I can further like lock down in terms of controlling the imaging pipeline from you know acquisition to delivery Um, so so i haven't had a lot of uh fisticuffs uh in my time um with production
2: Catherine, how do you feel like those two sometimes you come on and it's just sort of you know it almost feels like it's just handed to you or do you feel like they, you, you're working from the beginning and you understand what's happening? And I know I can give one example. When we worked on a show that was supposed to have practical driving that they then did all green, which we talked them through. And then when they found out that it cost money to do it, they're like, but we saved all that money. I'm like, yeah, but now you got to finish it. <laughs> there was this, this little like step that they just didn't, they were shocked when they got to post.
3: Do you find that often? Do you find yep, it's getting better? Home. Um, I mean, I, again, I think, um, there's the, there's the best case scenario where like, you know, a producer or, and they bring you on early and you consult on the post budget and you have a hand in picking vendors and getting their budgets and having it actually be realistic of what, you know, post is going to look like and kind of getting that into a, frankly, a budget. It's all about budget early. Um, then there's a more common scenario where someone calls you up and they're like, we're starting post in three weeks. We need a post supervisor. And you're like, Oh fuck. Like, okay, yeah. cool. You got, a, you got a 15 week post and like 900 visual effects. Great. This is going to be great. Awesome. Right. Um, and I do think, uh, it, it, no, I, this is going to seem like I'm kind of casting stones at, um at, at production people, which is not the case, but I do think there's, um, to Ben's point, kind of a power thing. I think um, people don't want to get people who are doing budgets, uh, you know, have some template that they've been using for post-production and they want to plug that in. And, th- you know, they don't want to be told otherwise because they have a hundred other departments that they're going to have to deal with much sooner than they're going to have to deal with Post asking for money. And so Post is kind of, they'll never have to deal with, with me, they'll be gone. So they don't care that they should, not they don't care, that's, I'm making it sound like they're the enemy and that's not the case, but it is easier to kind of look the other way on some post things because um, not everyone will yeah. stay on for that. And so it's just, it becomes a path of least resistance that you, you kind of get a little bit stuck in holding the bag. Again, in a great scenario where you have a producer who knows how their director works, or knows how post is gonna work, and you get brought on like any other department head to actually shape your budget, it's great. And I think it's so much more useful and so much more realistic at the end of the day to, to make it kind of match what post is gonna look like.
2: Yeah,
5: Kendall? Uh, I'll say um, I get, because I'm in TV and streaming, uh, unlike film, I get brought on before shooting happens, which is a luxury. And it's really, really helpful. I get to see the scripts. I get co- brought to the production meetings to talk about those scripts. Um, there is definitely a push-pull between production and post always. Production has a lot of money. They have a huge crew. And, and the reality that I always remind myself, like to me, it's not war between the two. I'm part of the team, uh, but they have to make their day. And that is their goal. Uh, and their day costs what my week costs. So, like, making their day is is important, really, really important. And they don't necessarily want to hear from posts that, oh, this is going to be a kind of a problem. They're like, shut up, we need to make our day. So you have to understand that that's their motivation. Uh, they need to get as much footage in the can as possible in one day. Really, really hard to do because everything's going wrong on set. So if you think in that way, like, you're supposed to help them. and you do need to point out certain things, such as the VFX thing. Everybody thinks they're gonna save money if we just make this a VFX. I don't have the time to shoot it. I don't have the, ta- the resources to shoot it. We'll just make it a VFX and we'll save, you know, half a day's shooting. But, the pro- but I do need to speak up then and saying, but then you need to shoot the plate. Who's gonna shoot the plate? And then they start talking about, because a VFX shot is not just the shot, it's the thing that you're also putting behind them. Uh, whether it be outside the car window or a hotel window or whatever, what are you putting out there? Who's shooting it? And a lot of times production is just like, well, don't you just have something? I'm like, no, we don't have something. You have to shoot it. So, and you can get some stuff from stock, but even that's expensive. It doesn't match. People aren't happy with it. So you have to show them what it is ahead of time. And they're like, I don't like any of this. This is never going to work. So you have to bring that stuff up. So they don't come to you and post, and then say, "What is this? This is never going to work." It it has to be addressed before they shoot. But it's really, really hard. Like you have to pick your battles because there's only you can't do this every single issue, every single problem. And there's usually a hundred things that you could talk about. You got to pick your three. I was on one project, and there was uh, the showrunner was going to leave in 24 hours with his family on vacation. And the script had this transition point where it was this clock and it was gonna be this post with this clock on top, fireworks at the end were gonna come out, little arms were gonna come up at certain times that, that would transition you from this part of the night to a little later in the night to even later in the night. And so I started talking to production, how are we doing that? What does this sign look like? And they're like, oh, no, 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 art department's not doing the sign, we're just doing the post. All like VFX has to do everything. And then I talked to my VFX guy, I had $20,000 per episode. Like that's not, really gonna, co- that's not gonna cover the shot. There's no way if this is all digital. And you don't know that from the script, you have to call people. So this is a showrunner I had never worked with before and I'm calling him 24 hours before he's on vacation. I do all my due diligence. I find out from art department exactly what they're doing. And I find out from my VFX department, what we actually could do, how will we actually make it happen? How do we shoot plates for that? Like. What does this look like? And he just said the magic words. And he's just like, Kendall, if we sink $100,000 into this one shot, it will still look like crap. And I was like, excellent. That I can go to him with. So I call this guy who I don't know. And he could, he could, he could hate me for the rest of the show. And we could burn this relationship. But you kind of have to gamble how important this is. And this is a transition shot that's going to happen five times in my episode. Like, I can't, I can't not bring this up. So I, I call him, I tell him what the problem is. I tell him there's no way to do this in VFX without sinking hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars into it and it still isn't gonna look, he's not gonna be happy with the shot. I can't make him happy with the shot. He literally, the next day, I didn't even talk to him after that. He said, okay, Kendall, I hear you. I got a new script the next day and he had written this out of every single thing like before he went on vacation. You have a trust thing, you cannot betray that trust with production by bothering them with something stupid. So you have to make sure that the issues that you bring up with them are really valid and really important. And I'm all about executing creative vision like nobody's business, that's why I do this job. I want my project to look awesome. I want it to be the best looking thing anybody's ever seen. And if someone's got a cool idea, I'm all about trying to figure out how to do it. There's some things you can't do though. And if you can't do it because you don't have the budget, you don't have the time, they didn't shoot the right plates for it, you gotta speak up. So that's my story. Matt, do you think, so Matt
2: is on a thousand shows at once, but uh, Maisel is a very popular show that Matt is a producer on. Do you feel Matt, that with the coronavirus, the gaps between production and post have to bridge because so much more is gonna have to be addressed in post that we can't kind of think about them as two separate things, but rather as one whole thing. Do you think there's going to be a shift?
0: It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I think the, the first thing people are talking about with you know the limitations of what they can shoot on set is you know more visual effects, more you know crowd plates, you know, because you're not going to be able to have hundred extras. So everyone's just talking really theoretically now. But I think it'll be interesting what that becomes because you know you can't just assume it'll be taken care of in post. So I think. You know the visual effects component definitely has to be more thought through going into every shot you know and expectations for what can we do you know you can't just shoot and assume digital extras will be put into it there has to be a real plan there um and you know i mean post is interesting in that you know shows that had shot a few, some a number of episodes could finish post in some form remotely you know post can be flexible in certain ways that production can't um so i think it'll it'll be interesting if you know if the Brings them to you know closer together or not. I mean, I feel like in in TV as a whole, the production and post are pretty close. You know, they're you know in post you're on from the beginning. You're at the production meetings. You're you're really involved. Um, so I, I think it'll be interesting. I think more with yeah, but the film. How is that approach? Do they really have to bring on? the post team in advance and really plot out how are we gonna get from beginning to end instead of just like, oh, well we'll hire the post people once we finish shooting. Like that that, that plan's gonna have to be there from the beginning.
2: Yeah, it feels to me like it's gonna all have to start. I, I feel like there's a potential real opportunity for those two sides to bridge because post really needs to know so much about production. But the reverse isn't necessarily totally true. I, I mean, Ben, what do you think about that? that do you think? Am I just being self-centered here? That I think post is probably more educated about production than sometimes production can be about post.
4: Definitely, definitely. Uh, I think uh, you know a real advantage of working uh, on the studio side is is the experience is similar to what Matt is outlining here. Like we are involved from the get-go because I'm building the budget out. Right. So, so, so it is. It does feel more holistic like you know when Catherine said you know post is starting in three weeks and we're hiring you you, you know it's like i was like i would never think of it that way and i suddenly i had a window into just pain you know <laughs> it's like oh fuck, that's gonna be horrible um yeah yeah so so you know i have a You know, in my experience, we've always been included, sometimes begrudgingly, because we are challenging the shooting crew on how exactly do you want us to deliver this when you're just wrote it VFX, you know? Uh, So it's interesting.
2: I've also been in a prep meeting where someone said to me, whatever, because obviously I work in VFX now, someone said to me, like, whatever, that'll be like 50 bucks and she'll take care of it. And then you're like, you have no idea how long, it, how much late, you know, it's not visible to most people post, right? So pr- production, you see all the crew members, you know exactly how many days and how long the days were. Post is a little bit more in the shadows. And so it's easy to imagine that things are just like clicking a button when in fact it's just as much human labor, um, if not more sometimes than production. Um, Kendall, where do you see improvements could be made? Like how would you, in your perfect scenario, how, when would the communication start? How do you feel like, where
5: do you feel like the bridge should be? I think it's a bigger problem than Post, what Post can handle. I think the creatives are gonna have to look at scripts in a very different way. And like, it's not up to me to tell a writer director that their script is too big, too hard to do, not gonna be able to be done for this budget. And I do think that sometimes post gets relied on to say that ugly comment. And that's just brutal. Like you, you can't talk about creative stuff. You can only talk about what you can, have, what you can actually do. Right. So I actually think the studio execs who are reading these scripts are gonna have to clamp down on them and be like, you've got this New Year's Eve scene in Times Square. It's, we can't shoot that during coronavirus. Find a different way to shoot this. Like, and you know what? I always think that certain limitations I came on from independent films. And so, like, there was never enough money to do a car chase the way you wanted to do a car chase. But that's okay, because then you come up with a creative way to do a car chase that's unlike anything anybody else has seen before. And that makes it interesting. So, I think I'm hoping that the coronavirus and people not being able to work in mass amounts will figure out a more creative way to do, to express the same thing or something even more powerful. Like, Sometimes it's easier to just be like, ah, a ton of people in a crowd on, uh, on Times Square. Awesome, New Year's Eve, got it. But like, maybe there's a better way to hit the emotional beat of what New Year's Eve is meaning to this person in some other way. So I do, I, it's gotta come from the writers. Um, they have to think with their coronavirus cap on and like, and maybe they have to educate themselves a little bit about what's doable in cost-wise in production and safety-wise with people. Yeah. I don't think it can all fall to post.
2: No, I don't think so either. But I think there's a huge potential for it to be a bridge. Yeah, definitely. We all we're going to have to collaborate in a new way in order to
5: produce content. I just I just don't see how there's any way around it. It it's yeah. gonna take more people. Like here's the other thing. Remote editing. It's wonderful. It's it's gotten so good lately. Like you can have a lot of remote things happen. For the post super AP, whatever. Remote editing is exhausting. No <laughs> one's in the same place. I have to do three times the amount of work when everybody goes remote. Cause I got to call one person, then call another, like call this editor, call editor two, call editor three, call assistant editor one, two, three, call the director. Like, And creatives, you can't put 20 questions in an email to a creative. You can ask him a laundry list of 20 things when he's right in front of you, and you say, I need five minutes of your time to do the rundown of what I need answered. But you can't put it in an email. You put it in an email, he answers one question, and he goes for a walk. So, like, so then, and you can't send him 20 emails either. So, you have to figure out how to, like, slowly dole out the questions, and yet everybody's got to keep moving because you're running out of time. Yeah. So, like, I think they're going to have to figure out. Someone's going to have to ask post, what do you need in order to make this happen? And I'm not sure what we, I think we need more time to be totally honest. I think we need longer post schedules. It's not going to work as fast and that's going to cost money. And that's going to be hard to get. My last question for you is for the people who are just, how important is it to
2: you to bring up the next crop of, of professionals in in our field? I know that we in VFX feel it's critical because people aren't coming out of school with the skills you know not not work ready necessarily um and so we put a lot of time into training people for the ecosystem and for ourselves how how important is sort of bringing up the next crop and and how do you recommend they go about contacting getting their first opportunities rather uh,
3: the the short answer is i think as we've all kind of said like i learned from the bottom up and and i think that's that uh, for a long time was the way the the tricky thing about post is a not a ton of people who are starting out are like i want to be a post producer so, nobody which i don't fault them for i mean it's literally like the least sexy job ever it's it's especially because you're in a room with people who are doing after effects people who are cutting the movie do people who have written and directed the film and then there's like my job, so I totally get that it's like you look at what's available, and you're like, okay, not that. But what it does kind of do is create a little bit of a um, of a tougher sell in terms of really training up. You know, we don't we could we could talk for hours about how like we don't get coordinators in features. We don't always get coordinators, and so you know you're kind of relying on a post PA who's there to try to be an assistant editor which he should try to do, but it doesn't help me be it as I'm trying to teach someone how to do POs and like schedule ADR. And they're like, yeah, yeah, cool. I'm going to go watch a quick time because that's so much more interesting. So I think um, none of that is helpful because what are you going to do? People want to be what they want, to be. they shouldn't change. You know, I'm not trying to convince anyone to be a post supervisor. I just think it makes the, um, the kind of uh, training ground a little bit tougher. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, I think it's the, the, the biggest, the thing I kind of say to PAs and they kind of look at me like, yeah, sure, honey. But it is like, if you're interested in producing, which is the other kind of glamorous role there is a lot to learn that can be applied to producing if that is where you're kind of, and by producing, I don't mean producing like we do. I mean, producing more like on the production side. Um, there is stuff to be learned that is, produ- producing is producing is producing. You're still managing people and budgets and schedules and all of that can be learned in post. And then if you want to take it and apply it to visual effects producing or to apply it to line producing or apply it to whatever kind of producing there is, things to be learned. It's just, uh, I think, I think, um, I don't know the best way to kind of foster the next generation of post producers because it's a, it's It's not. You
2: you maybe fall into
5: (laughs) as opposed to like being four and in your room, like,
3: um,
5: but so it's it's harder in film though. It is harder in film because you don't get as big a crew in TV and streaming. You get a four person crew and that like, I mean, and literally when I did film, I didn't get anybody. There was only one show that I had an assistant on, and the other time it was just me. So I'm like, there's nobody here to train because no one will pay for anybody else. Do
2: you feel, Matt, do you feel like when you're training somebody, do you feel more motivated to train them if you feel like they're going to stick around? I know I feel that, that I'm sort of like, I don't want to put in years of my time only for you to quit. I, You know, it's it's so time-consuming to get people... Um, ready for the next job. Like if you're paying to coordinator coordinator to producer. So do you feel like less motivated to help if you know that what they really want to be is an editor or a X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Matt, how do you feel about
0: I mean, I wouldn't say le- less motivated. I mean, I think if you're coming in as a PA and you're excited to be there and you really want to do this job, I think it's it's hard to find a good PA, you know, and, and I think if someone truly wants to go all the way and work as a post coordinator, work post supervisor, that's great. And I've been really lucky that I have a couple people I've worked with for a bunch of years now. And I mean, that's the greatest thing in the world, you know, that, uh, you know, people want to stay with you and, and grow, but the, the problem is at a point, then they want to move up and go get your job on something else. And so you're always looking for new people, which is a great thing because you want people to move up. Um, So I think, you know, if you come into a job and you're there to just learn and and help out, it's, it's much appreciated because I think the PA you don't want is the one that's kind of not really listening, not reading the room, you know, the, the PA that's just not there to help almost that's more to make it about them and and doesn't really want to kind of just stop and listen and learn and absorb and and fit in and when you say hey can you really help me with this they're not like great I'm on it you know if you just can find someone like that that's a great thing you know so I'm always happy to hear from new PAs you know the tricky thing is just there's only so many jobs out there and it's just kind of a luck and a timing thing they happen to reach out at a time you're looking for someone or you have someone and then you know you're you're crewed up for a while. So I think if you're just as a PA kind of interested and curious in post and what it is, I don't think you have to want to dedicate your life to post. I think you just have to be willing to really get in there and realize you're the person kind of running around doing the errands. But I mean, I, I loved being a PA when I did it. I mean, you were like part of this team and you were running around New York and going to all the labs and picking up all these things and meeting everyone and delivering them things. I mean, I loved being a PA. So when you see someone who's kind of grumpy about the job, you're like, I I love doing this. If you don't like doing it, that's fine, but no one, no one's forcing you to to be here. So I think being a PA is great. You can learn and you can take it in a lot of directions. Um, so there's, there's those kind of PAs that then want to go off into production or something else, which is great. And then if you're lucky, you kind of find those people who want to move up there, you can really mentor and hopefully be with, you know, working on things long-term.
2: Yeah. And, um, Ben, how, how do you, how do you like to be reached out to by people who are just starting or do you not like it? Do you want to be approached on LinkedIn? Do you want to receive an email? Like, how would you recommend people just starting reach out without being annoying?
4: (laughs) I mean, I think a lot of it is, um, it is, it's, it's, it's what Matt was, was describing. It's a luck and timing thing. Uh, the person who's working with me now, uh, you know, I found, you know, because I sent an email out to a bunch of other post people, like, does anybody know anybody? And uh, and this guy, you know, had sort of like the quality, which was, he was excited. You know, I love being a PA too, man, like carrying film cans, all that. it was great. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I think that's really the, you know, I, I tell people, I tell people that I coach that, uh, you know, show up on time, uh, don't be an idiot. You know, even if you are an idiot, just keep your mouth shut. Um, and, uh, and, you're and, an and idiot. It, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and be nice. Um, and, you know, and, and that curiosity piece is a big part of that. Um, and, uh, y- you know, and, I mean, yeah, I think.
2: Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think, I think what you don't want to feel is somebody who is just there to bide their time to get to the other thing. I think people are willing to present the opportunities as long as you're doing your job first.
5: People think you can't see that, but everybody can see it. It's so transparent. We've all been PAs ourselves. You need to make yourself, you need to wow me. You need to totally wow me. Otherwise, I'm not going to give you, I'm going to give you the base stuff and and get as much out of you as I can. But like, but you wow me, I'm going to give you a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. I'm going to bring you into the mix room. I'm going to bring you into the color correct room. I'm going to make you part of it. Like make yourself essential, useful, valuable, there's so much work to get done that if you take something off my plate, I am euphoric. And I know yeah, it's- and Also, it's a pretty small ecosystem in New York. And so
2: if you're good at what you do, even if it's not working for me specifically, I'm gonna do everything I can to keep you in our ecosystem, even if I don't get you personally. Because it's pretty small and we don't want to lose great people. So be great, um, <laughs> be great everybody. That's, I'm hungry.
4: That, that, that's great. true. Uh- uh, sorry, I've, I can completely answer your question, Vivian, too, which is I don't I have a business email. It should be used to be contacted. Uh, I, I also know how to use a delete key too. you know, I mean, it has, but sometimes, they, you know, you file these emails and then and then the next day someone's like, do you know of anyone in New York? And you're like, here's five things that showed up last week.
2: So um, I think with that, um, we should leave some time for questions unless our panelists had something that they were dying to say that they didn't get to say.
1: Why does it seem important to separate the creative from the logistic at all?
5: I would say like, no one specifically says, I'm just doing creative today. Like it's all big, one big hodgepodge mess. So it's always, the creative is always interweaved with the logistics because half the time the question is, can we actually do this? And usually it's because well we've got a mixed date that we can't move so can we get it done by that mixed date so that's when the logistics come in to determine if we can actually pull this off with the creative or it's like or do we have like i really care about this i don't really care about that mixed date can we push that mixed date so it's always a tug of war like a a little push and pull and sometimes you can totally do it and sometimes you can't but like that's the fun of it is trying to put the puzzle together because nothing's set in stone Absolutely nothing is set in stone in post. You can move stuff around, except for the delivery date. You can't mess with the delivery date or the air date. You're screwed. Anybody else want to jump in
2: on that or other questions, Chris?
1: Sure. How do post supervisors work between jobs to get repeat business from the producers, studios, and and networks that hire them? How do you network and, and promote yourself?
5: Anybody? I don't know. Like you have to have a rapport with somebody like somebody else should speak about this. Cause I'm just talking, Matt, you you've worked on multiple, like you've worked with Shyamalan like a ton and you worked on, on Miss Mazel for repeated.
0: Yeah. I think it's kind of, Circumstantial, you know. It's you know. I think we've been lucky that there's a lot of work in New York right now. So we've been in this, or until now at least. <laughs> going forward, happens. But you know, we've been lucky where it's kind of you know. You're getting to choose between products and sometimes you're lucky, and you really have a rapport with the director, and you you go onto their next one. Sometimes you know they're starting something when you're just too busy on something else, and you can't do it, and you can join them on the next one. So I think it's less trying to have the rapport and just seeing if you have the rapport, if you naturally want to work together again and they know you and you, you do a good job and they're happy in the end, I think, you know, you'll, you'll get that call at the right time, hopefully, and, and it'll work out again. But it's great to just work with people on one job and then, you know, their next films in LA, you can't do it, but, you know, who knows in the future. But I've, I've liked doing both, long-term people and then, you know, one film and, and you know, you're and busy on other things. I think it's a nice balance between both. and. In New York, we can really work on such a range of things. You can do the big movies and the tiny ones and TV and film and really float between all of it. You know?
2: Chris, did you have any others?
1: Yeah, lots of people have been asking, we've touched on it a little bit, but additional thoughts on what returning to, lo- to work would look like from, from a post-Supers perspective, re- returning to work in person.
4: We, as a studio, have three shows that are back on. Um, one uh, is Final Mix World, um, and uh, we're going through the, a kind of process to figure out how to use like our super huge stage at Universal, and just everyone will be socially distant, and that will be fine. Uh, another one that we're finishing out in New York. We first said. Uh, Fuck, we're gonna lose our tax credit. Uh, we wanna finish there. It's, you know, it's a New York movie. I have a personal you know, connection. Uh, I want it to happen. Uh, after the dust settled, I mean, you know, we think we're gonna, we're gonna finish it in New York. We're gonna set up uh, 5.1 rooms for the mix, like in LA and wherever else we need to. It's all just speaking to what other people said, it's gonna be slower and your expectations have to be different around speed um, and kind of around, you know, like what you might normally be able to do. Ben, um, do
2: you feel like cost budgets are going to be, do you feel like there's going to be sort of a squeeze on budgets or do you feel like budgets will expand to allow for the extra time?
4: Um... I think I think they'll expand. I think uh, one of the things we're playing with, which I don't like, because we lose the uh, kinetic energy of, of as we rush toward a delivery date, is this off again, on again. Some people are on, other people are not on. We gave you a turnover. We're going quiet for two weeks. Um, that's just kind of we're stumbling in the dark uh, yeah. there. Uh, but all of the editorial is remote. It's, you know, no one is going anywhere. Uh, we're we not asking people to go into offices. We don't want them to, um, and uh, yeah, same deal with DI. Uh, so we may do like a you know like a harbor to harbor connect, but again, we're trying to figure out how do we move one or two approvers into a into a space by themselves, socially distant, to give a thumbs up and then get the fuck
0: out. Right.
4: But we I, uh, wanna finish movies, we wanna make movies. We need them.
5: Yeah. I honestly don't know how you don't get people into a mix room to listen to it in the mix room. I, I don't know how, like, I don't know how you don't have the director or showrunner in there. It's always helpful to have an editor in there, but maybe they can remote, maybe they can zoom the whole damn thing. I, but like, I don't know how, I feel like that's I need a, to be in a mix room and I need to be in a color correct room. I don't know how to do that remotely.
4: Yeah. Well, I and mean, that's what we're talking about, deploying systems into into multiple houses. So we will have on the on the one we will have uh, Director LA, Editor Massachusetts, uh Mixer New York, uh, you know I mean it's they'll all be listening simultaneously and zooming each other and saying you know.
0: Is that with <laughs> headphones that
5: they'll do that? Yeah or? like how are you gonna get the
4: five? No songs? no no we want to build out we, we're gonna have audio engineers go to their house and oh like, wow set up you know a speaker array in the in your little garage or what have you oh. and do our best
5: <laughs> you guys said in my map time yeah. like where is this?
4: <laughs> there's too much reverb man you got to get a cedars box or something
5: <laughs> this is gonna be interesting i also think work hours are gonna have to change people are not gonna be not that they're gonna not that they're always like 10 to six or whatever, I think people are going to start working like I think some editors are going to come in at 5am and work from five till you know whatever that that 10 hour day is um, I think we're planning on
2: cycling people off rush hour times at phosphine. That was one of the questions we asked was would you and of course there's their nighttime zombies VFX people so they all chose
5: the late shift nobody was like yeah five am um, yeah, some moms and dads this won't fly people with yeah. small kids this won't work but like for some people it'll be off. like maybe the maybe the assistants only work at night. Like I we're gonna have to be creative. Yeah. But that's what we are. We're creative logistical we yeah. um Chris did you have more questions?
1: Yeah how can you how can one improve their soft skills? Can they do it on their own or is it more of a forged through fire kind of a thing?
2: Catherine, do you want to talk about that since you were saying before that it wasn't your favorite part?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of what we touched on before, which is the the best way, like if you're looking to build skills, I think it's just to read, the, learn to read the room and like keep your mouth shut at first until you feel like you can read the room. Um, I don't think there's anything else you can do besides just do it, you know, just try and get a job, whatever that job is, post PA or whatever it is, and just kind of see how it works um and kind of figure out how to how to play it accordingly Um, but not to not to um i'm always the like derailer not to go back to what we were talking about before but i think you know in the conversations i've been having i feel like the question on everybody's mind is like what are we doing moving forward and obviously none of us have the answer because we're all figuring it out and, and no one knows but it's it's clearly the like main thing that we're all thinking about and i think in talking to people one thing that would be nice because New York Post is still going like you know like I'm finishing two films now like Kendall's work. like people are working like we are working now and it's not perfect and it's not um it's not like ideal and and I would say it's certainly not as productive as it was in February by any means but I think we have an advantage in that we can we are in some ways beta testing what the future could look like and I think it's a great opportunity to find out what is working about this system that we would actually want to keep um for the long term um because you know there are some benefits to the system there are many downsides and people not working is a downside like i'm not trying to kind of say that this is awesome but i do think um as we kind of think about if productions are maybe going to start shooting again and then post is maybe going to be starting again like not only how do we work logistically, but how do we work that's better for people? Yeah. Like, is it not the worst thing in the world for people to be working a flex schedule or for visual effects editors to be working at home and just whenever they want, kind of working on their shots and turning them back over to editorial rather than sitting down there from nine to six with an editor who's not even ready to give them temp visual effects to work. on? Like, It, it opens up new ways of working that could be better for us that we maybe have didn't even know we were kind of handcuffed to in the past and can finally be like why were we doing it like that all those years i agree that like going to a mixed stage should be something we keep and going to a di should be something that we keep doing but there are things that if we can kind of get out in front of when the world does wake up again be like hey this is what was working during this time like let's keep doing this and adapt in these other ways i don't know i think
2: I think you're right. I think there's a real opportunity for, for progress, um, and efficiencies that we don't even know about yet. Um, we are at five, so maybe one more question, Chris?
1: Sure. How often do you all check in with each other to get recommendations or, or opinions or, or support during the project or, or keep
0: dialogues going amongst yourselves? Oh yeah, all the time. I mean, I think, you know, you have
2: no secrets, everybody, on this On this. <laughs> yeah. chat. Exactly. We all
0: talk. Yeah, and it, but it, to me, yeah, New York is just such a great community of people in Post, like it, especially with the Post Alliance. Like you really feel this sense of you're part of this group of people that's really there to support each other, help each other, recommend each other, give each other info. Like I've really felt that, and I don't think that exists other places or in other aspects of the industry. So you really, you do feel like you're part of something. Yeah, and ask all the time when you're, looking for someone
2: and especially if you're good it rises to the top very quickly
0: exactly quickly. yeah very I
5: always quick. want to pass my good people around yeah. Go to In fact, on my last show tales i stole uh my uh matt's vfx in-house editor and so like he, i think he was done with him at the time but i asked him when he was going to be done because i needed an in-house guy and i asked him is chris any good and then we had to like also chat on like when did he need him back because i needed him longer <laughs> than i thought i did so like oh, i I think there's a lot of give and take. And then also for recommending people. If people are good, I want that person in the field and doing, doing interesting things and working with good people. So I happily recommend them uh, to the next shows or to people that I know are crewing up after I'm finishing.
2: And honestly, if someone's great, there's a loyalty that builds between the two of you. So we have someone who works for us who's amazing but wants to do something slightly different than, than, than what he's doing now and I have no qualms supporting and recommending and helping him transition because he earned it.
5: Definitely. Um,
2: and it's better for the community to have great people doing you know, jobs. Uh, and you're just
5: gonna work with that person again, but in a different yeah. capacity, and it's still gonna be a great relationship. So it's, all, it's always good. It, I, I never mind if someone leaves to go to another show, or just not in the middle of my show. When right. my show's <laughs> done, then you can go. Get into your jobs, everybody that's another
2: thing that's another good one like don't abandon people. finish
5: strong <laughs> yeah, definitely finish strong because people will remember the last two weeks they won't remember the 500 weeks that beforehand but the last two weeks are the most important
1: but everyone just quickly say their favorite
0: scheduling software or scheduling system
5: dear diary i love
0: there, there's not really, I mean, I use like iCal to do schedules. You know, there used to be more calendar programs that are real kind of out of date now. So there's not really a, a great one. It's really just, you know, calendars you're circulating. Um, you know, I use like movie magic budgeting to do budgets, but I don't really use an official program for schedules, just email lists and
2: Yeah, I noticed that when I receive budgets, they're usually iCal. Catherine, what do you use for scheduling?
3: Yeah, same. Uh, I Google Calendar. Sometimes we have a group one with the, you know, with editorial, but nobody looks at it but me, so it's like, why do I even share it?
4: (laughs) Okay, Uh, so when we went remote, I lost access to our fancy scheduling uh, software because it's fucking
5: Calendar Creator, which hasn't been updated since 2005! (laughs) <laughs> I use Calendar Creator, it's the only one! It's like what you put your cat on, you know? Like, people are doing their home calendars, yes. and they're like, January's cat, February's yeah. cat. Like,
4: I said it was like print shop to someone, and they were like, why don't you go watch Gilligan's Island reruns, you old fucker.
2: It's old. <laughs> it's but really I old. See, I also see calendars, like, Aaron Silquini has his own that he's made in Excel, which, if you haven't seen it, it's awesome. Um so I think I think I don't think it's a standardized situation, and I don't think it's like a complex software situation. I don't think it's like the I don't think it's comparable to the budgeting that they all do in terms of every
5: post supervisor asks this question though, because like I'm sorry, the calendar is my budget, like that that is everything. I walk around with my calendar all day long. I'm writing notes on it all. Like it is, it's my bible. Uh, I have to change it all the time. And yeah, I use these clunky programs because I need to see a month in a, in a view. I just, it doesn't work anywhere. It works for you to some extent, right? Like it works a- for me. Also like the simple thing is like my calendar, it's it's really this stupid calendar. It shows a month view. If I can't put everything in there, if it doesn't fit because it it's too many things in that little itty bitty box that you have for a month, I know for sure there's no way I can get that much done in a day. It sounds stupid, but it's true. Like too many calendars are huge and they're like look at all these things we can do in a day isn't this great I'm like that's never gonna happen like if you have 20 lines dream on So, (laughs) so I put big things in the calendar and I encourage my like post super underneath me to do another calendar just for how he's conforming how he or she is conforming or color correcting because I can't include all that detail on mine so Calendars are hugely important. It's a really good question. Yeah, and we use no um, program. I, not that
2: this panel is about this, but we use calendars in Shotgun, which is what we use to track our shots. So it's all in one thing in terms nice. of how phosphine does it. Um,
5: and everybody asks me, every vendor, can I see your calendar? You're like, oh, yeah, okay.
2: And then it, we got that, it's not final, don't show anyone, but here's what I think it is right a Huge. Now.
5: It's a huge communication. That gives you everybody a game plan. In IT, everybody IT, like have to start from somewhere. You have, like, yeah. And everybody can start making plans from it. It is not set in stone. I always say, and half the time I'll send it out, I'm like, it's already wrong. I know it's already wrong, but here it is. <laughs>
1: yeah. Next week's panel is a creative collaboration in a virtual world. A discussion on virtual collaboration for film and TV professionals with speakers from Adobe, Bebop, and Evercast moderated by Ben Baker.
2: Yay. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Catherine, Kendall, Matt, and Ben for being here. Thank you for the 142 people who are here. Um, And if you have any follow-up questions, I think probably, Chris, would you say Slack is the best way for people to ask questions?
1: Yep, the Events Channel and Slack.
2: Okay. Thank you, everybody. This was
0: awesome.